welcome to episode 62 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Kevin. And that's it. Nobody else is here. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't want to push it back a month. we got to give you guys something to listen to. Right. So, uh, especially with the competition just heating up over at the Film Shake Podcast <laughs> with our former co-host uh, Jordan starting his own podcast eerily similar to ours uh <laughs> no but in- incredibly short uh dedicated to a 30 minute length for some reason and uh only recording once a month which i think is the strangest part of it for me is i don't i don't understand how you can like for me the podcast is very fun to record it's fun yeah. to talk about movies and to limit yourself to one half hour per month seems insane to me i like what's the what even is the point <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, you know, not trying to throw them under the bus, but like they had, you know, they had a pretty lengthy discussion. But yeah, some of some of it was about the movie, uh, some of it not so much. And you know, benefit of the doubt, they're just starting. So yeah, I think they'll I mean, get, they'll I probably they'll get into get a better. groove at some point. But I mean, yeah, uh, I just I and I understand what 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 the uh, the thought process is behind it because as I wrote on our blog, I mean, it's. Uh, it's exactly what Jordan always talked about when he was on our show, which, you know, let's make it shorter, let's talk only about these specific things, let's not go on tangents at all. But it's like, they kind of go on tangents a little bit in this in that first episode, which is available now, uh, especially his co-host, uh, Louis, what's his name once again? <laughs> Nick? Nick, yes, Nick. I actually met Nick uh, many, many years ago, but anyway, um, yeah, so... Neither here nor there. We're going to review today. Deep Dive is going to be my pick, Quest for Fire, which Jr. and Jonathan did watch. Right. But, uh, you know, things being as they are, couldn't make it. So I guess we'll talk about it on the next episode briefly. Uh, but we're all going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Twilight Zone, which uh, I think Kevin's about two and a half months removed <laughs> on now. But <laughs> are you sure you didn't want to wait for Jr. because he uh, he watched that too? We could okay, yeah, we could push Twilight Zone sure. again <laughs> yeah, for you I mean, again and for me the first time. But yeah, I don't we'll, know by the time we actually talk about it, the series might be out, so we can yeah, you know, they, that's, that's time it just right. Good point. So uh, yeah, we'll be talking about other things we watched and. Uh, Maybe a little uh, Oscar talk, being that we haven't really discussed the winners and things like that. Yeah, we haven't seen each other since the I since know. the Oscars aired. So, so uh, let's just uh, jump right in. Are, actually, you know what? I haven't um haven't really looked today, but are there are there trailers we need to discuss? Um, let's, let's see. I know I po- I posted one today, but I don't. It's not nothing worth discussing, really. Um, is that you, the uh, like you posted the Charles the Charles Manson one? With, I did. Uh, that was a couple of days ago. I posted the the Headhunter today, which oh, is a, okay. a medieval fantasy film. Right. Uh, haven't haven't watched that yet, but uh, yeah, there's really nothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> it was cool to actually hear. Like, I've been hearing about the Irishman. For, yeah. It feels like over a year. It's been a while. Yeah. So, like, finally, actually getting some audio of uh, Pacino. That was that was cool. And I guess I'm gonna have to repost that midsummer trailer because yeah, I got the video got removed, huh? That's I, weird. I guess, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, as far as that goes, like I really was like, okay, it seems like kind of the village meets the Wicker Man. Yeah, it's not uh, terribly exciting looking for me, and I, I really, I mean, it's just. <laughs> It just looks so derivative. It's just like you said, Wicker Man. It's just like, that's all you can... It's just... Yeah. I mean, how many times are we going to do that story, you know? Yeah, and like, you know, I... I mean, 
I need to watch The Wicker Man again because the first time I saw it, I remember not really being enthused about it. Mm. But, but the yeah, Nicolas like, Cage one, of course, is what you're talking about. <laughs> no, actually, no. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, but yeah, like it has this legacy that's you know like anything set in the countryside, you know, like yeah, like Midsummer seems to be. Like you can't get away from the Wicker Man. It's right. uh, you know it's like trying to do anything cyberpunk now. It's always going to be compared to the Matrix. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Cyberpunk is dead. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> well, let's just jump right into what we watched then. Uh, All right. You want to start us off, Kevin? Sure. So uh, I watched Batman v Superman again. Uh, Glutton just, for punishment. I guess so. Like just just trying to see like. I remember thinking I remember thinking how dumb it was when I saw it in the theater and like I've you know just wanted to see like was it really that dumb was there anything that I could really take away from it and I still I got to give props to Jesse Eisenberg cuz even though like the script and like a lot of the lines that he's saying aren't very good I think he's very good and he at least has the conviction coming through his acting and i like ben affleck as batman the old you know curmudgeon batman who's just seen everybody he loves die and all frank miller's batman yeah is, yeah essentially yeah and i thought he i thought he did a good job henry cavill is just there's just nothing to he is a him. void of personality yeah right? i mean yeah he's got like no charisma yeah because like watching like watching this and watching the Richard Donner Superman, like Christopher Reeves, like there's no better person to play Superman other than the guy whose name I can't remember who played him. Brandon Routh. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> man, I, I remember that one really <laughs> bad. But uh, the guy who does the voice for Superman in like the animated oh, uh, Justice right, League, right, right, right. Like he's he's pretty good. But uh, but yeah, like. Um, well, I think that the, it's it's also not a fair comparison to and to be fair, have not seen the original Superman, uh, but I have seen parts of it, and I know that there's a lot of Clark Kent stuff in there, and there's really yeah. not a lot of that in uh, in the newer in these new films. And when there is, he's not like a nerdy goofball; he's like serious, handsome man, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's he's very much like you know, like Clark Kent is Clark Kent is essentially supposed to be, you know, spineless. Like right. the polar opposite of Superman. To Whereas, hide the identity. Exactly. Whereas, like, uh, uh, Henry Cavill's is, like, you know, trying trying to have a backbone and, like, trying to stand up for justice. And, you know, especially in this one where he's, like, you know, really got a hard-on for taking Batman down. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... Yeah, the movie's just not very good. I like it really like uh I heard another reviewer say like nobody hates comic book fans more than David S. Goyer. <laughs> and he was one of the writers on right. this and it's like, yeah, I can see that now. He wrote the first Batman Begins also, I believe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or or was it Wasn't it? David S. Goyer? I, I mean, think so. Or like uh, maybe he was involved in it and maybe it was the Nolan brothers who actually did the script. I don't know. But, um, I want to say he did uh, Batman Begins, but he also, I think he also wrote um, Blade and Blade 2. Right. Yeah, he wrote Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like, he's, he's a, yeah, it's, he's, he's, 
one of those he's like a polarizing figure i'd say like uh mm. writes some stuff that people seem to really like and then he yeah he has these ones where people are just pissed the fuck off about it yeah and i would say like from what i understand it's more like the die hard comic fans which i'm not they're the ones who really have have it out for him he wrote all the blade films actually oh and dark city so again he's this guy this, he's like you know he writes some good stuff and he writes some, mm. you know he also wrote a movie called Death Warrant. I don't know if you've seen it. It's his first no. script. Uh, it's a Van Damme film from the 80s. It's, oh. not, it's, not, it's not bad. Okay. Actually, it's from 1990, but it's not bad. Cool. But yeah, like this one is just like, it, you know, it's a DC problem that they were just trying to follow Marvel's footsteps, even though Marvel had they like a 20-year yeah. plan. They didn't. They didn't. Yeah, they clearly uh, were trying to stuff way too much shit in. The, I mean, I think yeah. that's the common complaint about the the film is that mm-hmm. there's just way too much going on. Yeah, and it's almost three hours, yeah. and like, you know, like we talk, you know, I'm sure regular listeners will be like, "God, you guys love your 90 minutes." Like, yes, we do. Yeah, because that- speaking of that, I mean, I just watched a trailer today for a, a new uh, comedy with uh, Taylor Schilling called Family. And I didn't post it, but I I feel like I should have actually been, but because I, I really enjoyed the trailer, I was like, I really want to see the movie. Oh. But um, it looks funny and like interesting, and uh, and it's eighty five minutes long, and I'm just like, nice. that's that's what I'm talking about. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's easy. You put that on Netflix, that's done. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, I uh, watched Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is the um, the movie about the forgeries that was nominated for a couple of Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. Richard e. Grant. <laughs> Thank you. Both nominated, uh, and you know, rightfully so. I think they both did great jobs. I don't I, honestly. Richard E. Grant, he's terrific, uh, but he's not any better in this than he is in anything else. I think mm. he just should probably just get an Oscar for anything he's in. You know what I mean? He's, he's, yeah, he's just good. Um, yeah, <clears throat> very very competent, very effortless. You know, just funny and charming. But uh, and a total scumbag also though at the same time just like a piece of shit. Anyway, really good movie, uh, very enjoyable. I read that uh, I actually read that Julianne Moore was originally cast in the Melissa McCarthy role, hmm. which sounds really strange because Melissa McCarthy is you know like so overweight, and they that's like part of it seems like it's kind of part of the character is that she's kind of schlubby and like a loser, right? And I just can't imagine like. I don't know if like uh, Julianne Moore would have tried to achieve that look at all. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't see her being that method. Yeah, I don't think it. she'd gain the weight. But I was like, and if you put put on like a fat suit, it would just look ridiculous. So. Yeah. But um, she apparently got fired off the movie, so she claims by the uh, original director hmm. before it got transferred over. But anyways, yeah, it's it looks really um, actually looked a lot like uh, Inside Lewin Davis to me. Oh, and right. I actually looked it up to see if the. DP was the same, but it's not. But they they look really similar. I think they have that mm. kind of like weird hazy thing going on. Right. But it's a solid picture. I'd recommend it. Four out of five. Cool. So I rewatched Being John Malkovich, and this is a really interesting movie. And I think it's probably the best I've ever seen Cameron Diaz act. Yeah, it's. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, because like what I like, you know, I guess you think like uh, Gangs of New York and like, I would have uh, before we re- Vanilla Sky. Well, even even yeah, I was got to say it was like even even now having rewatched Vanilla Sky and not enjoying it nearly as much, mm. I still think she's quite good at it. Right. 
Yeah, but um, and like I've said this before, nobody plays a mean bitch better than Catherine Keener. No, oh, yeah. Somehow she's just able to be just the meanest, like the worst. And that's it's, Kaufman's dialogue too, though. He, yeah, he has a way of writing that kind of those kind of acerbic, angry right. characters. You know. Yeah, and like um, but uh, did you ever see uh, an American Crime with her and Ellen Page? No, I I don't think I've even heard of that. It was uh, I think it's based on a true story. Like Ellen Page and like her character and a couple of other kids were like kept in a basement by Catherine Keener's character. Yeah, I've never and, heard uh, of this movie. Yeah, like this was before. This was before Ellen Page was like a kid, huh? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like wow. it's funny how much like really like hardcore visceral stuff she did, and then she does Juno and kind of you know makes a complete you know turn yeah. in in her career. Because you know you got this and you got hard candy and probably yeah. something probably something else. She, I know she did a. Um, I watched a movie that she did about a cult, uh, mm. which was right around that time, like her transition into stardom, kind of. And uh, right, it was pretty. You know, mm. I think it had some weird shit and like sex stuff in it. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I've never never heard of this movie. It's weird. Yeah, I saw it in a blockbuster hmm. and uh, checked it out and like, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't remember it being particularly great, but it's one of those where, like, yeah, I could stand to not watch this again for yeah, a while. Yeah, it says it's rated R for strong and disturbing depiction of child abuse and torture. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how interested I am in watching this, actually. Yeah. Especially now. I, I have a kid, and I, like, think of, like, I, that really bothers me sometimes now. Like, whenever, um, mm. I forget what I was watching the other day, but there was, like, a baby and the baby was in danger, and I was like, I'm, I'm like, having trouble getting through this right now. Like, I, I might have to turn yeah. this off, you know? <laughs> it's weird. I didn't think that would happen to me, but it, it certainly has. Yeah, because, like, um, like, I remember um, there was an episode of Dragnet mm. where, like, like the premise was... The classic was, Dragnet? Yeah, the classic oh, yeah. Dragnet. This was, like, you know, back in, like, mid to late 60s. Right. And, like... There, there was an episode where, like, these this couple were, like, you know, smoking pot, but they couldn't really bust them because, you know, like, circumstantial evidence. And the episode ends with their infant drowning in the bathtub because oh, they Jesus. were high on the couch. And I'm like, this is fucking horrific. How did this make it onto network television in the 60s? Yeah, it sounds terrible. Yeah, like... Yeah, it's like that, and then the uh, there's like that scene in um, what's that movie? The Ben Affleck film uh, that stars his brother. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, um, Where he's searching for the kid. Oh, Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby yeah. Gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that scene in that when he uh, raids the pedophile's house, and you see like the dead corpse of a child, and there's like bloody underwear and shit. It's like fuck. It's just fucked. Like I don't need this yeah. shit. Yeah, it's just nothing. Nothing offends me, but shit does bother me sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like I mean, do do whatever you want, but I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, but I don't need to see it. Yeah, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to look at it. Anyway, uh, yeah, being John Malkovich, uh, John Cusack is good. I think the the story itself is kind of you know it's Charlie Kaufman, so it's kind of out there and weird, but. I think the the acting is really what pulls pulls it through and makes it more interesting. So three point seven five. Nice. I don't. I uh, have. I don't know that I've actually seen it a hundred percent all the way through. Mm. But I've seen. Like I'd be comfortable talking about it. Like I feel like I've seen enough of it to talk about it. But I've right. never, and I do. I do recall that I've seen the ending once. So I don't know where I would have seen the ending unless I was watching it. 
yeah. like the part where it's like jumps ahead in time and Charlie Sheen is old and he's got the <laughs> goofy like bald cap thing on. That made me laugh so hard. <laughs> like like he he knocks knocks on his door. Like uh, I forget what Malkovich calls him, but like such and such Malcatraz. <laughs> Malcatraz. <laughs> yeah, pretty goofy. Uh, yeah. I watched. Um, okay, now speaking of not not entirely watching a movie, uh, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I watched. So we have clubs at school. Mm-hmm. I sponsor a club, Movie Makers of Tomorrow or something like that. I don't know. I didn't title it. And uh, we don't make movies. We, we literally go to the club and watch movies because the kids can't handle doing anything. Like, if you give them something to do, they'll just start screaming and, like, break shit. So it's just, you can't, you can't have them done. So we just watch movies. Yeah. And we, uh, we watched Lion King, mm-hmm. and, uh, which I didn't log because we didn't finish it. But then we watched and didn't finish Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Which oh. I did log because I'm sorry, this thing it was so brutal and offensive to me just seeing the forty five minutes that I saw. And I think actually we watched another half hour of it the time before that. So I mean I've seen most of it. Right. It's a piece of shit. Uh yeah. and it's not really worth getting into. Whatever you think might be a wrong with it is exactly mm-hmm. what's wrong with it. Right. And uh it's just terrible. It's the most cliched Screenwriting 101 garbage uh, with phoned-in performances and terrible acting. I mean, even, like, James Cromwell is in it. He's awful. Uh, the villain is some nobody who's, like, really fucking bad. I'm sure he's on Game of Thrones or some shit. Um, <laughs> it's not Riz, Riz Ahmed, is it? No, no, no. Because he's everywhere. Yeah, no, I, I ended up not seeing, Riz like, Ahmed. three... Yeah. I ended up seeing like three movies in a row with him, like not knowing that I would. Oh, right. yeah, he's in Sisters Brothers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah no, it's not him. He's good. I like him. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, the guy in this is some rando, uh, you know, white guy. I don't know. It's a piece of shit. So, uh, you know, don't see it. I gave it zero stars. It's worthless. It's not worth the time. Especially, it's like over two hours. It's definitely not worth the time to put into right. it. It's not, I wouldn't say it's worth like it's trailer's time. Wow. <laughs> it's it's terrible. And you haven't seen Jurassic World. Nor will I. Yeah. Kevin, I, I, ever I, in my life. Yeah, uh, like that would that would literally be like pulling teeth for you. Yeah, I couldn't I don't there's no there's just no absolutely no incentive to watch that movie. Yeah. There's nothing that would benefit me from seeing that. So Right. <laughs> Zero stars. Yeah. Let's see. So I rewatched Blazing Saddles. And that movie is still insanely funny. I w- and, I've only seen it once, and I was probably 13 years old or something. Okay. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I think, um, like the only the only thing that brought it down a little bit for me was like one of the uh, musical numbers. I think it goes on a little bit too long, and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's a sex joke. We get it, yeah. but. Uh, but yeah, like uh, Cleavon Little and uh, Gene Wilder just are an amazing pairing, and like I I finally found out like I knew that Richard Pryor was like involved with it, but uh, like apparently like he was supposed to be uh, Cleavon Little's character, but at the time he was like really into cocaine, mm-hmm. and so the studio was like, no, we can't have him, and uh, so that that was why Cleavon Little ended up being uh, being Bart. But, uh, I mean, it, it works, he works. And even Richard Pryor was like, yeah, man, I'm too light skinned. Like that wouldn't, that wouldn't have flown. Like I look, you know, Q 
Cuban with my mustache. <laughs> but like, but you know, he's much darker than I am. So like, it would have really offended their sensibilities. So his casting ended up being perfect for the role. Um, and <laughs> just uh, like uh, and another thing I forgot, like uh, David Huddleston, the guy who's in uh, like he was the the Lebowski. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, and he was in. Um, it's in a lot of Cohen stuff. Yeah, and yeah. he yeah he was the old guy in uh, Hudsucker Proxy. He's in it as one of the Johnsons. You know, huh? blow it out your ass, Howard. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> what's yeah, his name? David Huddleston. Yeah, D- David Huddleston. Yeah, he's good, man. Yeah, and uh, like he actually passed away not too long ago. Yeah, I remember um, reading about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Blazing Saddles is just an it's an amazing comedy, and it's you know still very relevant with race issues these days because you know they are you know progressed a little bit, but um, you know there's still lessons in that movie that can be learned. So absolutely, yeah, Mel Mel Brooks uh, like this and Young Frankenstein, his masterpieces. Well, I uh, watched. A movie that I downloaded probably five years ago. I finally got around to it because I'm just been on a real Western thing, Western mm. kick, you know. I actually watched half of Silverado also, and uh, <clears throat> we'll, we'll finish it eventually. I don't know. It was, wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. But um, I watched a movie called Dirty Little Billy, uh, which is uh, a small, small movie from the 70s, 72, mm-hmm. about Billy the Kid. But it's about his... Uh, I guess you'd call it like his formative years, like before he is Billy the Kid, before he's done anything wrong. He's mm. just, and uh, it's it's essentially about him being like a loser, like a, just a piece of shit, just like a <laughs> he's like a lazy piece of shit kid, right? Who uh, stepfather hates him. They move to he his stepfather marries his mother, and they mo- they move to this town, and they start a farm. And he doesn't like farming, so his stepdad's constantly, like, screaming at him to, like, help with the farm, but he's, like, not into it. He just wants to, like, lay around and do nothing. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, like, pretty much like a classic, like, teenager kind of thing, you know? Right. And uh, one day he goes into town and – oh, his his stepfather dies, and he goes into town, and uh, he's trying to figure out what, what to do next with his life, kind of. And he goes into town, and he ends up at this saloon where this guy is holed up, this criminal – and this and it's just a weird situation because he's like he's essentially just like living in the saloon but all the like the sheriff wants him to leave town they want to kill him but he's mm. like he won't leave the saloon like if he leaves they'll shoot him right so he's just like hole up in here and he's been there for a few days and uh, billy the kid is just kind of staying with him for like it seems like weeks and they just <laughs> hang out and he's got a a whore that's his girlfriend mm-hmm. uh the criminal guy and that's I guess they're like making money constantly because these guys are coming in and having sex with her and paying her, and then they're you know drinking at the bar. There's still a bartender. There. It's just really it's just a strange setup, but it's like the whole movie essentially takes place in this bar. Uh. And uh, the end of the movie, you see they leave, and there's a shootout, and you see uh, kind of what how Billy the Kid becomes the cold blooded killer that he is. And right. The the I'll tell you when he does kill, it is some violent shit it is good it's you're waiting the whole movie for it but it's fucking great and there's a great scene too uh a poker game in the saloon where uh breaks out into a fight 
and this and the criminal guy starts shooting at the other guy who he thinks cheated him mm-hmm. and misses every single shot. And it's just <laughs> it's so good because it's like that's so real, man. Because he's yeah. just like ah, you know, just like firing willy nilly, and he's just hitting everything but the guy. And then there's a knife fight. It's it's just it's a good. I I highly recommend Dirty Little Billy. Uh, very very good. Very enjoyable right. picture. Um, and then I'll just real quick say that I I watched um, Mad Dog Morgan, which is another one that I downloaded a long time ago. Mm. Um, another and another. Now this is this is the thing, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is. I have a real issue with people who talk about. Modern day crime films that happen in the Southwest where the sheriffs still wear cowboy hats and then they call them Westerns. I don't like that. I think it's bullshit. No Country for Old Men is not a Western. That that bothers me. Okay. A Western it takes place in the Old West. Right. Right. I would agree. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Now, here's where the conflict happens, though. Uh-huh. The additional conflict on top of that conflict. Because I've had arguments with other cinephiles about this because they'll make a list and they'll put the fucking the rover on it, you know? And it's like, how is that a Western? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Mad Dog Morgan mm. is a movie that takes place in the 1870s or something, 1880s. But it takes place in Australia. And it's about a criminal in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, an outlaw. Right. But it's in Australia. So I don't know. Is it a Western? I don't know. I'm sure it's probably categorized that way on IMDb. But I, I don't know if I'd call it a Western. I did watch it because of my Jones for a Western. Right. And and because Dennis Hopper plays Mad Dog Morgan. And oh, nice. He's out of his fucking mind on every drug imaginable. You can just tell. Yeah. It's from 76. <laughs> and his performance is so ridiculous. It's It's good, though. Like, he's... He's just so like you know shit. Eisenberg was committed to the role. Talk right. about commitment! Like this guy yeah. is just in it, man. <laughs> like I read that he got paid fifty grand, which I'm sure was a lot at the time. Yeah. And uh, he just like essentially went down to Australia and just lived the role for the whole time he was there. Like he stayed in character and everything. And this is another one that's just like hyper violent. This is more of an exploitation film, though. Like they call it Oz exploitation. You know, it's actually right. it's made by Australians in Australia, and they just hired. Uh, he was the guy that they ended up getting. They had I forget they talked about some other actors that they wanted, but I can't remember who they were. Um, but yeah, it's not terrific. Mm. I would say it suffers from the fact that it's an exploitation film and that it's not really directed terribly well. Mm. But. Uh, the acting is all top notch. Like all these little like Australian character actors and Hopper again is really great. And they got this um Aboriginal guy to play the his like sidekick and he's fucking great too. I don't he hasn't been in a lot, but yeah. you know, check it out if you if you see it like pop up on Prime or something, you know. Cool. Just cool. check just check it out. Yeah. So I watched the interview for the first time. Um, the uh, James Franco movie, yeah, James okay, Franco, yeah. Seth Rogen, yeah. and uh, Randall Park from Fresh Off the Boat. Oh, okay. who, who, who was, and the girl in it is somebody, right? She's the um, uh, God, what the fuck is her I'm not, name? Sh- I'm not sure. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, but um, I, you know, it not the greatest movie, but I enjoyed it. I laughed a lot. Um, and like one th- one thing that I will give this movie, like. I, I don't know if James Franco just thought this up on the fly because I, ma- I imagine there was you know a whole lot of improv going on in this movie, but at one at one point uh, like he like uh, Lizzie Kaplan. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in yeah. uh, Cloverfield and, and the uh, night before and uh, Masters of Sex. She right, plays Virginia right. Johnson. So, mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, Franco's ta- like talking about like something like uh, you know they they're trying they're trying to get us to eat this and you know manja 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 and I'm like whoa they're getting real dark with the references now. <laughs> Is, uh, oh, from uh, Solo. Solo, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, I would say like the, the interview is kind of like a less um, less obvious version of uh, uh, Team America, the the movie. Okay. You know, only you know without without marionettes and more of a you know. Um, more low key storyline, but it's very it's very similar. Like there's a lot there's a lot of parts where like James Franco is hanging out with uh, Kim Jong Un and like getting to know him as a person and seeing like you know they do they do a good job of like trying to humanize him and um, you know kind of see like what it's like to be the son of a dictator who's now thirty and running a you know communist country. Um, you know, it doesn't last very long because eventually he does turn, turn back to evil, but, (laughs) but, uh, it's, it's funny. I would say it's definitely worth watching. I've, uh, always meant to check it out. Just, I don't know. never got Comedies are hard for me because, um, Mm. Nicole, while she has a great sense of humor, loves to laugh and we watch a lot of comedic television, she does not. Like she hates all that kind. Of, she like hates Seth Rogen. She hates. She likes Franco, okay, but uh, yeah, she's just like not a, like she and she, and then she'll she likes also like Apatow films, mm-hmm. especially like um you know like Knocked Up we watched together. She likes that forty year old version or something like that. Right. But like there's like other stuff that she just fucking like despises. I don't know. She's got a weird taste. <clears throat> but anyways, I um rewatched. Again, the Western thing, Quigley Down Under, and this is right, a another... direct a direct relation to Mad Dog Morgan, also because again, a movie about a this time an American West outlaw in the yeah. outback, yeah, and like very very obviously, you know, trying to make it a Western, right. but in Australia, yes. like Alan Rickman is you know the same old evil black wearing yeah. sheriff that's in every <laughs> that's in every Western town with yeah. you know that's like that. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, I I agree. It's definitely got a lot of Western tropes, more so mm-hmm. than even Mad Dog Morgan. So I I would be more uh, apt to call this a Western, maybe. But right. Um, you know, I've seen this movie a lot, uh, particularly when I was a kid, and mm. I really have always enjoyed it, and I did enjoy it, but. It's not great. Uh, (laughs) Tom Selleck is not a good actor. Um, He has he has that like tall, dark, handsome thing, but he's missing Mm. the charm of, say, uh, you know, he reminds me of his Harrison Ford, except he doesn't have the charm. I can see that. Or the chops like Harrison Ford can act, I think. Yeah. yeah. But he's not known for his acting. Uh, I think that uh, Tom Selleck is. And which, actually, that makes sense because Tom Selleck was originally going to be Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah, they were yeah, going to cast. That makes him. a lot more sense. Yeah. But um, I think uh, the dialogue is pretty cheesy a lot of the time. Uh, he doesn't deliver it super well. 
he's kind of goofy. I think the girl who's in it is Lauren Sangiacomo, mm. who would later be on Just Shoot Me, uh, the star of Just Shoot Me. She's pretty good in it. Uh, mm. Her story's really fucking goofy, but um, and I but I still like all the all the action is really good. I really like. Anything to do with him shooting people from really far away rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially when they... My favorite scene in the whole movie probably is when uh, they just beat the shit out of him and they bring him and the woman out to the outback and they just leave him in the desert and he mm. ends up killing the one guy and then the other guy rides off and he's just like... He's so beat up that he just can't barely move but he's like... He gets in position. It takes him like three or four minutes to get in position with the rifle but he still shoots the guy and kills him even though he's like a mile away. Nice. And... um. The only other really interesting thing to say, and and Alan Rickman is, you know, he's Alan Rickman. He's he's doing his villain thing. He's coming off of, uh, actually, well, he's coming off Die Hard, I guess, and then going into uh, Robin Hood at this point, right? So he'll he'll have perfected it by Robin Hood. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't watched Robin Hood in probably 20 years, so I, (laughs) but I've seen it. That's another one I watched all the fucking time when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the only other really interesting thing to say about it is that Ben Mendelsohn is in it. Oh, and he's like 19 years old. Oh, and he's in it a lot. Like he's got a lot of lines. Oh wow, yeah, I he, had he plays I had an, no idea. He plays an Irish guy, ah. which is weird. Uh, it's Jonathan telling me. He, Jonathan just texted me and told me what his pick is for next next time. Cool. So we'll know that at the end of the show. Right. Uh, but yeah, he's in and he, he's got like dyed red hair and he plays this Irish guy. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty. I don't know. It's fun to see him. Yeah. You know? When I saw his name in the credits, I was like, holy shit. Like, this movie's from yeah. 1990. Like, Ben Mendelsohn like, what is was he, around 10? back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess he's, like, in his late 40s now. So, he's you yeah, know, yeah. getting pretty getting up there. He didn't really hit his stride until late. Yeah. But I gave I it a, I gave it a two and a half. I wasn't, wasn't super thrilled with it. Yeah. I mean, I remember... I remember thinking it was okay, but, like, there's the, the line that comes back at the end, you know, like... You know, oh, I, I, n- I never said I couldn't shoot a pistol. I yeah. just never said I had much use for one. Yeah. It's like, which eh. I like. I, you know, I like the idea of the fact that like he's he doesn't use a pistol, and you think the whole time. Like, I like that twist of like he's he's actually just as good with a pistol. But right. I, yeah, the line is terrible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's cheesy, <laughs> and it's like the fact that he tells it to the guy as he's dying is just like. And the yeah, yeah. Another thing that's weird about this is. Who Quigley decides to kill versus just like hit in the face and knock out? Like he's just like mm. like he's cold blooded sometimes. They'll just fucking like shoot. Like the the guys are walking out of the ranch and uh, they're waiting for him to like come and attack them. And he shoots two of them with one bullet and they fall. And Alan Rickman's like, he's just been waiting out there all day for two idiots to line up. And it's like, yeah. He just cold blooded murdered two guys. Yeah, for just being on the ranch. But then other times he'll just like hit him with the stock of his gun and knock him out. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. It's just uh, yeah. I, anyway, yeah. pretty goofy. But uh, right. you know, it's got a pretty uh, solid like adventure score to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> two and a half. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, have you seen mid nineties yet? No, haven't okay. seen. Min- I saw my computer. Okay, yeah, because uh, like I know Jr. and everybody John. keeps giving it lukewarm reviews. I'm just like, I the, yeah. the more I think about, it, like the less I'm in- I'm gonna watch it still, no matter what. But I just, yeah, like Jonathan was like, you know, so so on it. Jr. was so so on it. You're clearly so so on yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like um, uh, there's there's decent parts in it, but I feel like I, I don't know. To me, it's just like. Every other coming of age indie movie, mm-hmm. 
you know, like, um, and like, there's some like glory shots of like rap CDs in his brother's room and, you know, like slow panning shots. So you can see every name that's on the CDs and it's like, uh, yeah, come on. Mm. And then like, you know, like, <laughs> and like, even, even like the, like the skating, like culture that's in the movie, like, you know, there's. It's not like he like discovers skateboarding and like it changes his life. It's like he just meets these people and starts hanging out with them and uh you know, th- you know things happen. But uh but yeah, a lot of lot of like um a lot of random like quiet music and not quite as much rap as you would think. Um yeah, and like Lucas Hedges, I think, like any, like he's Lucas Hedges is really good, but like anybody could have played this role because there's not a, there's not a lot going on with the Big Brother thing. Um, yeah, Lucas Hedges is. Uh, I'll tell you, after um, whatever that fucking movie was where he plays the gay guy. Oh, Boy Erased. Yeah, after or, or that, it, or the Lady Bird. No, it's Boy Erased. Okay, he's good in Lady Bird. Uh, I could use more of him in Lady Bird. Yeah, definitely. But in Boy Erased, it's just I, I don't know, man. I'm selling stock on that one. I'm just I'm <laughs> yeah. wait, waiting for it, waiting to see something. I'll watch mid nineties and then judge him some more because I don't know. Yeah. And like, and you know, I don't know, I don't know how much of it is him and, you know, Jonah Hill, first time director, writer. So, you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily what he, what he was going for, but like, it felt like really, you know, just another version of, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, David Gordon green, mm. you know, another one of his, you know, like, simple coming of age movies and Jonah Hill's worked with him a lot. So that makes sense. Yeah. That's true. although only on like broad comedies, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like, <laughs> and that like, uh, I think I've told the story on here. Like, um, like David Gordon green did some interview where like, uh, somebody like brought up Kevin Smith and he was like, that dude lowered the bar. He made indie film more like a special Olympics. And like now, like seeing more of his stuff, I'm like, dude, you did some real, like, just run-of-the-mill dumb shit I'm in, not your, a, in your early, like, artsy yeah. indie career. And then you transitioned into broad comedies that are probably dumber than anything Kevin Smith's done. So, yeah, I mean, or at sit least, on it at and least, spin, man. At least on par. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, the, f- uh, the only thing that would differentiate it, I think, is the fact that he has bigger budgets to work with and bigger for stars. For sure, yeah. And, uh, but, like... Yeah, I agree. That's a very pretentious statement to make, uh, very elitist. And yeah. the fact that I I mean, I'm not a David Gordon Green fan and yeah, it's yeah. I've seen I've seen enough to say that at this point. I don't really I don't think I like any of his movies that I've seen, mm. but I especially hate a few of them. Yeah. And uh yeah, I don't I don't understand what all the fuss is about, quite frankly. Me neither. I get and, it for uh, as far as like, you know, if you're like a big like if you're, you know, I like the stoner comedy. So like your highness and pineapple express rule or the sitter is good, but like those aren't the movies that he gets praised for is he gets praised for undertow and uh fucking Manglehorn and all these, uh, you know, and Halloween and all. And it's just like, these movies are not very good. I, like, yeah. And like, you know, like I can, I can give him props for trying to branch out and do something, you know, do something different. But you know, like that's one of the biggest strengths I think about Richard Donner. He did like a multitude of different kinds of movies of like a lot of different genres and like you know maybe they're not you know great great movies but he's still competent in everything he does. Sure. You know cuz like Superman uh the Lethal Weapon movies, The Omen, yeah. Scrooged, 
you know, it's the same thing with uh, Soderbergh. You know, it's just like you got yeah, if a yeah. director has talent, they can move from genre to genre. Or Kubrick, even like it's just somebody who has talent, they can move from genre to genre. It doesn't matter what they're doing; they know how to tell a story correctly. I think I uh, got a package at the door. Oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna pause this podcast real quick. All right. Um, what were you talking about? What movie were you talking about? Oh, uh, mid nineties. Okay, but you're done. Or yeah. Okay. Oh, um, just real quick. Like, sure. There's there's some decent scoring by um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, but there's it's like the whole that like the whole of their soundtrack is like twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right, I mean right. it's it's decent, but you know. You can just listen to more of like Social Network or Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Sure, I uh, I watched a documentary on Prime called "I Need You to Kill," which is about um, three comedians who go to uh, on a tour to uh, Asia to really just like three cities. Like they go to like uh, Singapore, mm. Hong Kong, and uh, Macau, and uh, the comedians are Tom Segura. Chad Daniels and Pete Lee and I watched this movie only because Tom Segura is in it because I really like his stuff I've been ever since I watched I've been listening to his comedy albums on Apple Music he's uh he's great can't say enough good things about his comedy he's very very funny Mm. extremely dark uh which I'm I'm just into (laughs) and uh this movie's okay I mean it's just I mean it's barely worth talking about except that you know that's the comedy in it is pretty funny like even the other two guys who I've listened to some Chad Daniels stuff since then, and I'm not thrilled with it. But the jokes that he makes off the cuff in the film are very mm-hmm. good. <laughs> He's nice. a very funny man. Right. Uh, like he tells, uh, I'm not going to tell jokes here, but he tells these guys they're at a they're at a like club in Singapore, and there's Pakistani guys in the audience, mm-hmm. and he tells them, "Happy 9/11, guys." <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's like, oh, it's, a, it's such a ballsy joke to make, you know? And he, go, and he yeah. says, good good burn, good burn. <laughs> uh, so, you know, stuff like that just really gets me going. Um, anyway, uh, gave it a three. I don't know. You know, it's yeah. a solid enough watch, and it's easy, okay. and it's fast, and pretty funny but yeah nothing nothing spectacular with the documentary filmmaking or anything right yeah i've been watching a lot of tom segura too like i just uh have you ever watched that show uh this is not happening Mm -mm. uh, like ari ari shafir has a show where like he has like theme themes for the shows and so like comedians will get up and like do some of their bits that are that go along with a certain theme and like uh, Tom Segura was on one like one crazy night, and um, I'm not giving too much away because it's in the preview, like right right before the video starts. But like the the video is called like Tom Segura overdoses, and like so I'm lying there in the hospital, you know, I can't I can't really write because you know I'm strapped down, and they're like, what kind of drugs did you take? And like, and I write out heroin. I'm like, oh my god, really? J.K. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the story itself is really funny. And, uh, <laughs> that yeah, is so good. Tom, he's, yeah, Tom yeah, Segura is great. He's extremely funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was listening to him on the way over here, in fact. I mean, he's just, yeah, he's just very, 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 very good. Yeah, like, I would definitely recommend listening to the, uh, podcasts that he does with, uh, Joe Rogan. The only, the only problem is, like, they get into discussions about, like, um, gender identities that last, like, 
half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. I, and it's like, guys, I, I get that you're, I get that this is funny and, you know, you can talk about this for a while, but like, you really don't need to spend this much time on it. And like, if you watch like, like two of the ones that he's on, like they talk about it in one and then they talk about it again. It's like, you guys didn't cover all this the first time around. Like, you guys are funny dudes. Like, you know, let's let's move things along a yeah. little bit. Joe Rogan, I'm on the fence about him. I, sometimes I watch I, his stuff too. and I'm just like, I don't know, this guy's a douche. But then other times <laughs> he, has, he has some mildly good points, I guess. But. Yeah, like I, I've tried to watch his stand-up and like I can't because it's just so much of him trying to do Sam Kinison with the yelling. And it's like, no, dude, you're not Sam Kinison. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Um, so uh, I... The only thing left I have to talk about really is that I watch I watch some short films, but I'm only going to talk about one of them. Okay. Um, which is Black Angel, which is a film from uh, directed by God. Let me look at this guy's name because <laughs> this is important. Mm. He's directed by Roger Christian. Have you heard of this movie? It's a 25 minute short. I don't think so. Okay, this is uh this movie was uh, played in front of Empire Strikes Back. And it was commissioned by George Lucas. Oh. Yeah. And uh, Roger Christian, I, it's on YouTube, and it has a little intro by the director, Roger Christian, and he talks about how he had a treatment for this, and he showed it to George Lucas, and George Lucas said, absolutely make it. And uh, he had $25,000, and he made it. Mm. And it's uh, it's 25 minutes long, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about a night who is riding through the countryside and he encounters uh, several different, like almost like apparitions who lead him to the black angel. Who's this like uh, sort of like a, like a forest demon or something. And he has to do battle with him. And it is not super well directed, but it looks incredible. It's shot very well. Uh, And the uh, Roger Christian says in his intro, even that uh, John Borman insisted that his whole cast and crew watch it before they did Excalibur. Cause he, oh. and, yeah. And he, he actually said that he lifted certain uh, aspects of it for Excalibur. And you can see during the fight scene in particular, he uses um, what we would, he called it step photography or something like that, but we, we would call it post-production slow motion at this point. Right. But he said he, uh, John Borman uses that during the fights, one of the fight scenes in his movie. And I was trying to remember when that happens. I was like, does he use that? Yeah. But it's during, I think, I believe, uh, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but I believe that it's when he, uh, fights Lancelot and ends up taking the sword and breaking it on his armor. Mm. And I believe that's, um, done with post-production slow-mo but anyway black angel uh you know just an oddity Mm. to something interesting to watch just because of its history it was lost for many many years they thought the negative was destroyed but they found one and uh reprinted it and now it's like i say it's on youtube it's in really good high high res quality so nice check it out if you got 25 minutes to blow yeah i'll have to do that and I've been meaning to rewatch Excalibur for a long, long time. Yeah, I really need to get on that too. It's been yeah. a while. Last time I watched it, I watched it with the director's commentary, and I almost mm. fell asleep because John Borman is like the most boring human being on earth. But <laughs> it is a uh, is a great film. Does it have like a good Blu-ray release? It's got a Blu-ray release. Oh, okay. I'm not sure how good it is. <laughs> okay, um, but it's there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I rewatched uh, Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers' first feature. 
And you can tell that they're definitely, like, until you get to, like, I guess the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, like, it's obvious they're not really the Coen brothers yet. They're somewhere in the middle, and, you know, they've obviously been watching Evil Dead quite a bit. Um, oh, right. And, yeah, because, yeah, like, the uh, s- speed ramping in front of uh, John Getz's house when... Um, uh, what's his face like breaks in and tries to kill Francis McDormand. Um, yeah, decent enough movie. Uh, Emmett Walsh's part, I think it gets a little annoying sometimes. Um, uh, you know, cause he's this like real schmarmy, uh, like private eye slash hitman. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I said in my letterbox review, like, there's a scene, there's a part where, like, one of the characters goes fishing, comes back and brings back, like, you know, four fish and just leaves them on the desk at, in the back of this bar. And, like, these fish are there for, like, a couple days. And, like, at no point does any, any other member of the cast, you know, there's no point where they're, like, grimacing because these fish are starting to rot and stink. Mm. <laughs> which I thought like yeah. it's a weird weird thing for like the Cohen brothers to leave out cuz you know they're they can they're very detail oriented especially like is like one of the things is like uh Emmett Walsh leaves his lighter on the desk and then the fish are put on top of the lighter and so you know the, there's some really you know there's some shots where it's shown like this is still here remember this that kind of thing right um, which like, I think like later on, they probably would have done that differently, but you know, first, first time making a movie and everything. Yeah. Um, I watched this, uh, not too, too long ago again. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I was not a big fan of it at all. Yeah. I mean, it's got, I think the biggest, the biggest problem is like the story itself. Like it's, you know, just kind of, you know. There's like there's like some suspense that's kind of built into this kind of story, but they spend too long on certain things to like for the suspense to really to really work, I think. Yeah, I really don't uh know what I don't recall what issues I had with it. I gave it a two and a half. I don't mm. uh I just remember thinking it wasn't their movies are so entertaining normally yeah. and this did not entertain me a lot. I do like I like parts of it, like I like the whole thing. I like certain shots in it are really good, and uh, some of the camera work's interesting. And I agree, there's a big Sam Raimi influence there mm. uh, with like this, uh, and even like Hudsucker Proxy and things like that. A lot of yeah. the earlier stuff, and anything that's like super comedic is uh, very, very Raimi esque. But a lot of people like like I'm looking at my letterbox right here, and I got like multiple people giving this thing five out of five. I do not get it. Yeah, I would love to hear why. Yeah, me too. Because like, I mean, it's not it's not a bad movie. No, but it's, I wouldn't. It's it's for me. It's very very low on the Coen Brothers for sure. Yeah, list. I mean, it's um, you know, like it's really just kind of a run of the mill hard case crime until you get to the very end where like, um, spoiler alert, everybody, um, Emmett Walsh is like you know trying is finally coming for Francis McDormand. I do love the entire last scene. Yeah, yeah. like from from the part where like uh John Getz is standing in front of the window yeah. and he yeah. and he gets his chest blown away by Amazing. that rifle <laughs> and then, you know, like coming in and like um, you know, she's 
stabs his hand and he starts firing through the wall and punching through it and like you think some like horrific monster is on the other side of it and it's good yeah it's, it's <laughs> yeah it's fantastic best part of the movie so you gave it a three yeah okay yeah we're starting again uh okay well let's go ahead and jump right into uh unless you i'm sorry do you have other films to talk about kevin my bad uh, just one. Oh, go uh, ahead please I, do. I watched blowout again last oh, yeah, night yeah. and fucking travolta rules <laughs> he is so good in that movie and like like the only like the only thing that brings it down for me is I did not like the score. I don't remember what the I, I've only seen it once. It's been a long time, but I, yeah. I I loved it when I saw it. But I don't remember what the uh, score sounds like. I don't know. I, like to me, it sounded like like there's some really like high pitched strings in there that like it sounds more like some kind of like TV thing in the seventies, mm. and like it's it's like really like obviously trying to get you to feel a certain way about what's going on. But uh, but other than that, like, uh, very very well shot. I lo- I love all the you know stuff where like Travolta is like going through and making making the tape reels and you know running everything back and syncing the sound to uh, like he like he cuts up some pictures out of a magazine and like makes a little film out. Yeah, of it. yeah. That stuff rules. That scene is amazing. And, and like he's and he's never like over the top. He's always really believable. And uh, have you seen Dress to Kill? Not yet. Okay, it's very similar. Okay, uh, especially with the whole like the filming aspect of it and stuff right. like that. There's a lot of that going on in it. Yeah, and like the uh, the very the very beginning where they're shooting the like really schlocky slasher flick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. And uh, yeah, like I'm trying to get around to watching more De Palma since I saw. The um the documentary that mm-hmm. Baumbach did and like on the Criterion Blu-ray, there's an interview with him and done by Baumbach and oh, cool. like they're pretty much just talking about blowout, but uh, they're bros. Yeah, know, they, they they really are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like um, he really looks up to him, which I, I think yeah. is really interesting because you, you don't when you watch a Baumbach film like the last thing you're thinking is that oh, yeah, this guy's really influenced by De Palma. It's just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, he clearly has like an affection for his his work. Yeah. Like it would be interesting to see Baumbach try his hand at a crime. Film. I would love to do. Yeah. See him do a thriller or something like that. Yeah. 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 Something outside of his normal, uh, neurotic, uh, comedy stuff that he does, yeah. which I, which I love, but mm. okay. Well, uh, let's move on to our deep dive, right? Which is quest for fire, uh, which is a film directed by Kevin. <laughs> Jean-Jacques Anou. Jean-Jacques Anou. Yeah, uh, starring Ron Perlman, Ray Don Chong, and Everett McGill. Mm. And uh, it's from 1981. Mm-hmm. And it was a... It's based on a French novel, I believe, right? Right. And it's a, apparently a French-Canadian uh, science science fantasy adventure film, which makes no sense because there's no science in the movie. But, but um, Well, yeah. especially like no like science fiction. Right. Uh, I don't even think I call it a fantasy film either, uh, being that it's purportedly about you know something that could have actually happened. Although, yeah. reading about it in more detail, it's, uh, as I understand it, the, the paleontologists or the anthropologists rather find this laughable. This film, but well, I mean, you know, it's yeah. a movie. They, they would, you know, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? It yeah. won the Academy Award for makeup. I can see why. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this movie's about uh cavemen. 
who are on a literal quest for fire. They need to find fire to bring it back to their cave people Mm -hmm. uh, so they can cook shit and eat it. And they come across a uh, nude Radon Chong who is naked the entire fucking movie. Uh, (laughs) And uh, yeah. That's that's what the movie is. It's literally it. It's an adventure movie. It's a it's sort of like a road movie almost, but without yeah, yeah. without a car or a road. Yeah. <laughs> uh travel film. Uh Yeah, buddy comedy. <laughs> yeah, buddy comedy. There's a lot there's a lot more comedy in it than I recalled there being. Oh, for sure. And uh it's uh completely not completely dialogueless, but definitely no real languages being used right. in it and no subtitles. Yeah, which it's almost like, like a silent film. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, I can see that it being, a, you know, a very challenging thing to watch, you know, back in like the early 80s. I can't believe that a movie got made like this. Like I don't know how there's no way this movie would get made now. Like you no. never get any money and they, I'm sure they didn't have much money to begin with. Well, it says they had 12 million which is a lot for 81 i think yeah uh yeah i think like the closest you get is like uh apocalypto yeah i mean and that's and that's uh a big risk too i'm surprised i mean i think he had to do all kinds of shit to get that that thing done right. and the passion of the christ you know yeah, he, had yeah. to, he had to like put in 25 mil of his own money because nobody wants to watch a movie with subtitles to begin with in america in america anyway yeah and nobody wants to uh watch a movie with a dead language in it mm-hmm. this movie has even worse than that, no language in it, or the language that's in it is fake. Yeah, created by Anthony Burgess apparently. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, he's got a, a history with that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Would you? Would you? Was this your first time with Quest for Fire, Kevin? What'd you think? First time, and I really enjoyed it. I I didn't I didn't know what to expect going in, but like I thought it was really I thought it was really well done, and like I uh, I, spe- I especially loved that scene where they're like uh they're being chased by the lions and they mm-hmm. run up run up the oh, tree yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh I, th- I think it's ron perlman like falls falls down at some point and freaks out and scrambles back up the tree only to realize oh, oh they're not here anymore yeah <laughs> and uh i like yeah, the goofy cool. uh like the saber-toothed teeth that they give the the tigers <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> pretty good yeah and uh you know i was i was looking him up like everett mcgill you know, really didn't do very much. Um, Twin in his, Peaks. Well, tw- yeah, Twin <laughs> Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. He was in um, was what was the name of that movie? Silver Bullet, I think. Oh, a Stephen where, King movie. Yeah, yeah. like uh, Rustin just logged it the other day, and I was reminded of it. Like uh, it's a werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like he, uh, I, yeah, I think he retired from acting in like the late nineties, oh. and only decided to come back because uh, David Lynch was like, "Hey, man, let's uh, do Twin Peaks again." He's like, "Yeah, sure." And then he's only in the revival, like I don't, like a total of like twenty minutes. I yeah, think. he's not in it much. Yeah, um, I feel like they cast this movie. They clearly cast people with extremely strong features. Yeah, like he's you know carved up looking, like he looks like a statue. You know what I mean? Like his face does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ron Perlman obviously has the crazy like gorilla underbite thing going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that makes sense that you would cast him too but yeah uh yeah Everett mcgill I, I he was he was in, i didn't realize he was the star of it i read that he was in it i didn't realize right. he was like he's like the main guy yeah um yeah because like i would have you know thought ron perlman at that well i mean I even mean, him like he hadn't done very much up to that point yeah. i don't think yeah 
exactly. But uh, well, I having having seen this before, mm. don't really a hundred percent recall how I felt about it the first time I watched this. It was like fifteen years ago, but mm. now that I've rewatched it, I will uh, parry and thrust with you, Kevin, because I did not enjoy this movie. Really? No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Right. I had a lot of issues with it. Um, I like a lot of things about okay things I like about it mm. no dialogue I think it's killer it's so cool yeah. <laughs> I love that idea I mean I'm you know having talked about Apocalypto and uh, and Passion of the Christ I don't love Passion of the Christ but I love Apocalypto and I love the idea of you know just making a film making a film and trying to keep it real as mm. much as possible and obviously cavemen would not be talking right so that's good I uh, really dig the kind of extreme a brutality that's portrayed entirely like banal, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. the, it would be considered rape if they were in civilization, but since they're like, they're essentially animals. Yeah. yeah. Like when he goes and has sex with the woman near the river mm. at the beginning of the film. And it's just like, she just takes it and there's like no emotion behind it. Nobody's even paying attention to it. Yeah. It's just something that is done because you're in the group together and that's your job is to have sex with this man, you know, or whatever yeah. man comes and has sex with you. I, I think that that's really interesting and a kind of a interesting choice to, to portray that. Uh, I like, I think the makeup, okay. The makeup, <laughs> I think the makeup is good right. on Everett McGill on uh, <laughs> the other guy and on Ron Perlman. And I like Radon Chong's body paint. Right. It's cool looking. Yeah. She looks creepy. Uh, on her face, anyway. Uh, I hate the makeup everywhere else. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I will say, like, especially, like, the um, that orange tribe who all look like yeah. Dr. Zaius from yeah. uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah. That, that got a little, eh, those, I don't know those, about that. Those guys, and then the guys that they steal the fire from initially, that they go right. and they, they raid their camp and end up killing a couple of them and taking the fire. Yeah. Those guys look ridiculous. Yeah, and... Uh... And even going as far as the makeup for when they transform the elephants into... I was wondering about that. Like that looked so. It's so. You know what? You know what the biggest problem with that scene is is that it feels like the actors are nowhere near those elephants. I would agree, and like, I hate that. Just like, and I understand why you would film it that way because of maybe time constraints, but also because of safety and you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I want to see them <laughs> fighting them. Like that's that's the most interesting possible scene you could have in the movie. Yeah, and like, the way uh, you shoot around it makes it look like your movie's you know f- cheap as fuck. Yeah, and like I I thought like definitely like the fact that I guess they just like glued hair to real yeah. elephants. Yeah. Like they should have just like you know you know done something else to like. You know, save up a little bit more money, get in touch with Jim Henson's people, and, you know, just make, make been, it work. I would have been fine with, like, stop motion, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Even. I mean, at least that has charm to it. Like, this is just mm. kind of lame looking. Yeah, and, like, th- and, like that, that whole scene, too, like, with, you know, Everett McGill, like, grass. Yeah. <laughs> and, like... Oh, grass. Yeah. Nom, 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 nom. They kind of like, play it fast and loose, too, with, like, yeah. what they know and what they don't know. Like, the, the the main three guys are portrayed to be 
pretty much idiots. Yeah, yeah. But every once in a while, they do something that's really clever or smart. And yeah. I'm just like, I, like I, you know, it's, it's, it seems inconsistent. It's like, are they, are yeah, they yeah. morons or are, do they know stuff? Yeah, because, like, especially, like, that scene, like, all of a sudden, Everett McGill's character, like, has this, like, humanity to him. Yeah. And, yeah. Out of, out of nowhere, too. Yeah, like yeah. completely it's... unprompted, just all of a sudden, mm-hmm. oh, I've become this person. And, and that's another thing that I, I guess another complaint I would have about it is the seeming, like, it seems like a Hollywood producer's influence of, well, let's have uh, Everett McGill fall in love with Radon Chong. And then we can yeah. have a little romance going on and there'll be like a jealousy thing between him and Romper. And it's just, it feels unnecessary. It feels like I agree. It, it wouldn't, it feels like it wouldn't have happened either because earlier in the film, you see these guys sharing women. Yeah. Now that they got Radon Chong, suddenly they don't want to share the woman anymore. And right. It makes no fucking sense at all to me. Yeah. And the, the whole thing of like, um, like, when he and Radon Chong are about to get to it, like they're about to start in like doggy style. And then like, she like maneuvers him around to like do it in missionary. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, eh, that was brutal. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, it's not, no, it's like, no. who, get real. Yeah. Get no. fucking real. <laughs> yeah. Like so this th- guy is going to do anything missionary style. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> missionaries aren't invented yet. Yeah. No, no fucking way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> But you know, I did find uh, the scene with where they go to the village and everything, where mm-hmm. he gets taken in by the village, and then they come and rescue, like rescue him, even though he's essentially fine. Um, that scene was felt reminiscent of uh, of Black Robe a little bit when they yeah they, get, yeah. they escape the um, Indian village. I thought I was reminded of it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And uh, what is it? Um, the the very like beginning of the movie when that other like tribe raids and tries to steal st- steal their fire yeah when the um, monkeys from two thousand one attack them yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> like I thought like that was another one that was like really inconsistent as far as like sometimes it's like whoa that's brutal yeah. but then like that one part where like they try to like put the spear through his neck and like. That was a cutaway shot. Yeah. That was clearly a cutaway shot. It's the editing. Yeah. All that stuff's really bizarre to me. It doesn't Mm. look super great. Um, The editing's really confusing, especially during the action sequences. I do like uh, just the, you know, like the brutality of when like they're like they slam the boulder on that one monkey's fingers. Yeah. Crush his hand. Like I thought that that was cool. And uh, I like how intense that fight is and how many, you know, many of them have to die because of it. But at the same time, it's like. Like I say, it's just kind of like difficult to follow what's happening. Yeah, for and then sure. you see the aftermath; it's just a bunch of dead bodies. Yeah, and I'm not 100 percent sure what what went down. I understand why they attacked because of the title of the film, but like I don't. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think Jean Jacques Anod is. I've only seen three of his films. Same here. Uh, Seven years in Tibet. No, Enemy, no. Enemy at the Gates. <gasps> Oh, that makes four for me. Okay, well, that's, I've seen Enemy, <laughs> Enemy at the Gates and then the two we've reviewed on this show. Okay. Uh, Name of the Rose and, and Quest for Fire. Right. And out of those three, I mean, at this point, I would say Name of the Rose is my favorite of mm. those three, but I wasn't thr- I wasn't a big fan of In the Name of the Rose either. So it's like, I don't know if this guy has anything going for him in my book. I've never seen Seven Years in Tibet. I do like Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean... I, I, I still love uh, the name of the rose, but like, 
Um, yeah, I can definitely see why other people wouldn't be too enthusiastic about it. I am really intrigued by that that thing that you sent me about mm-hmm. uh, them remaking it into a miniseries with John Turturro. Yeah. I think that's gonna that has the potential to be really cool. I'm into it. I'd watch that. In a yeah, I lo- John Turturro can do anything. Oh, for sure. And like him as that kind of like Sherlock Holmes kind of yeah, mind. Yeah, give me that. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, it just definitely seems like something he should have done by now. Like played yeah. a played a detective role. You know, he was in uh, the Night of as a lawyer, and he was so oh, fucking right. good. Uh, he's just great. But yeah. Anyway, um, um, yeah, like. I don't like I I would say like yeah I definitely you know had like some issues with the movie but like overall I I felt like like even though um you know it, I think it was like what hour 45 or something it seemed to go by really fast like um it moved at a pretty good pace I thought yeah hour 40 100 minutes yeah so I thought that was that was good. Yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah, they, like, I was, there was enough going on at any one point to absolutely. like not make me lose. Yeah, it was super easy. Attention. Super easy to watch. Yeah, uh, not a problem there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, according to Wikipedia, the scientific response uh, is that they the ling- linguistics professor thought it was quote absurd <laughs> the mixture of different levels of advancement among different tribes living in close, close such close proximity. So the fact that they could. One tribe could make fire, another tribe could not, and they yeah. live essentially in the same area. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, just the like, you know, like obvious, like, like hard cutoff between one tribe and another. Like, sure. very, very little similarities between the random groups that they come across. But at the same time, and I agree, like that's ridiculous. But I, this is the this is the issue you're going to have if you take movie if you take movies. Not if you take them seriously, because I take films seriously. But like, if you yeah. if you look at them through like a scientific lens or something, like if you look at a historical film and say, "Well, this is not historically accurate," if you look at like a, you know, like if if a if I'm a I'm a teacher, if I watch a movie about teachers and I'm thinking the whole time, "This isn't like what it's like to be a teacher." Who right. gives a fuck? That's not what the movie's about. The movie's about the themes of the movie. The movie's about the story. The story's not about a teacher. The plot is about a teacher, right? The the, the yeah, story yeah. is the, whatever is going on subtextually. You know, and what what's happening with the characters emotionally? Yeah, and it's like, does that work or not? That's the question. And you know, so for this movie, like, I don't give a fuck if like the tribes aren't accurate to the yeah. or the Cro-Magnons are because before I watched this, I thought the Cro-Magnons were the main guys, but apparently they're the Homo sapiens, and the Cro-Magnons are the uh, whoever uh, the the, the Planet were, of the Apes. No, I think they were. I think they said the Cro-Magnons were uh, Radon Chong's people. Really? Well, yeah, which I was like, I always thought Cro-Magnons were like... they have the like, body paint and everything. Yeah, I know. Hang on one second. I'm going to read about it. Okay. They, they said, um, let's see. They say... It must be likely 80,000 years for humans to be exhibiting ape-like characteristics. I don't know where I read that. It was probably in the IMDb uh, trivia, but... Right. But, yeah, I was remember being really, like, really confused because I was like, I thought the whole like sloped forehead and the weird jaw and everything was Cro-Magnon, but... Apparently not. Right. Anyway. Uh yeah, so I don't know. Wasn't wasn't blown away by it. Didn't don't don't hate it. Don't dislike it. Might watch it again at some point, but right. not uh 
it'll probably be like another 15 years before I watch it again. <laughs> if I forget everything about it, be like, I don't remember what I thought about that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I gave, Oh, I mean, if you have anything else to add, uh, yeah, not really gave it a two and a half. Oh, uh, one thing, one thing that I really like, really didn't like about it was the score. God, I'm trying to recall the score now. I, I, I thought it was like, what was it like? So all over the place and, um, like it was like it was definitely it was so much more orchestral than I thought it needed to be. Like I thought it, you know, it could have been like if they had made music with you know a little more like, um, you know, primitive kind of stuff. You know, like more like drums or like you know simpler uh, string instruments. I think it could have been more interesting mm-hmm. at least. Um, but no, like. Yeah, there's a lot of like sweeping orchestral stuff, and I I just don't think it works as well. As should be they like it should, should be like tribal shit, like nothing but like percussion, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or like you know something. I mean, you know, it it would probably never be anywhere near as good, but like something where like the composer actually like went and did some research as to like you know. Early, early music and early rhythms only and on stuff. bone instruments. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like uh, bone flute. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, like uh, like Peter Gabriel did all that uh, research into. Oh yeah, you know all all that kind of music that was around in biblical times, and you know was able to meld it really well with drum machines and synthesizers into and, the best score of all time. <laughs> no, it's one of the, one of the best. One, one, yeah, I mean, it's fucking terrific. Yeah. Last Invasion of Christ, what we're talking about. <laughs> yes. Um, and Peter Gabriel's soundtrack rules so hard. It is really, really good. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what'd, you, what'd you give uh, Quest for Fire? Three and a half. Three and a half. I gave it two and a half. So that will do it. Yes, it will. And uh, it's a short show because there's only two of us. Did you want to do the uh, feedback? Yeah, the, what uh, was the feedback? Like uh, <laughs> directors who have like less than five films under their oh, belt? Oh, yeah, directors with less than five films. So we had a feedback uh, at our email, filmyakpodcast at gmail.com, where a listener asked us uh, if we knew any, what, good directors that had less than five films? Yeah, or who was like, the like, best director? Yeah, like who, who we thought were like the best with less than five films yeah. under their belt. And uh, I think the first person I thought of was name forthcoming. Go ahead. And, <laughs> who did you think of? Uh, the first the first one that came oh. to mind was uh, uh, Shane Carruth. Yes. The guy who did uh, Primer and Upstream Color. You know, I th- yeah, those are like his two feature-length movies. Uh, but you also uh, – Carrie Joji Fukunaga um, – Jeremy Saulnier, I think, has like right at five features. Yeah, um, he could go either way though. After the yeah, last yeah. one, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh man, who else? Um, yeah, because I mean, most most of them are you know like uh, newer directors. Um, well, the first person I thought of uh-huh. was Charles Lawton. Who directed Night of the Hunter? It's the only movie he ever directed. Oh, right. And I like Night of the Hunter a lot. Okay. And uh, you know he never directed anything else, so it's it's mm. uh, he's one. <laughs> right. And then there's other. You know, you could think of other like thinking of it in those in terms like that. Like Marlon Brando only directed one movie. Yeah. One Eye Jacks, and yeah, I, I like One Eye Jacks, and 
I don't, I wouldn't say he's like the best, you know, director with five films or less, but, um, yeah. So it'd be, those are the kinds of things I think of. I was thinking like got people who just said, didn't have a chance to direct anything else because their films weren't well received, you know? Right. Cause it's hard to think of. I mean, if you can, you can go back to like, you know, 1998 and say Terrence Malick, you know, is a great director with less than five films, but right. now he's got like 25. So <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like he fucking releases a film every year. Almost. It's crazy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, those are, those are the main ones I'm thinking about or guys like that. Yeah. And, um, I, I didn't have him on my list, but, uh, I just remember, uh, Jonathan Glazer. John, three, yeah, uh, Glazer. Yeah, yeah, three films. He's got three fucking credit. movies. He needs to do more shit. Yeah, apparently, according to IMD, uh, no, uh, according to Letterboxd, he's got some untitled Auschwitz project coming out in 2020. It's gonna I don't be know dark. if that's real, but uh, but yeah, like, just under the skin, sexy beast, and birth. And um, there's a lot of there's a lot of like, directors who have made like one film, and it's a great mm, film. Yeah. And you just don't know yet because you don't know what like uh, Ari Aster's yeah yeah well, Midsummer I don't know like Midsummer doesn't look great to me but Hereditary was mind blowing for me so I don't I don't know if uh, yeah and uh, what's the what's the guy's name who did um uh, the witch Robert Eggers yeah, yeah yeah he's got a movie coming out that looks very good oh uh called the lighthouse or something like that let me see it's mm. it's got um yeah the lighthouse uh, which stars Willem Dafoe. Oh, interesting. As a man named Old. <laughs> and Robert Pattinson's in it, too. So I don't. It, it's uh, the story of an aging lighthouse keeper named Old who lives in the early 20th century Maine. Ah. Drama, fantasy, horror. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For sure. Uh, that that seems much more interesting to me than Midsummer. Right. Midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but God only knows when this shit's coming out. Yeah. It says they filmed it last, last year, in the middle of the last year, so I, they should be approaching being done with it i would imagine yeah like uh i know shane carruth was supposed to be doing some like epic about like um international trade on on the sea it was gonna have like like keanu reeves and like daniel radcliffe and like a huge like a huge like you know star-studded cast but last last i saw on his wikipedia it looks like it's not gonna happen for a while have you seen uh the spirit the comic book movie? I have, but it's been forever ago. And I remember thinking it was really bad. Okay. I, I've heard, that's what I've heard, that it's bad. Um, yeah. I, I bought it on Blu-ray when FYE was closing because it was like a dollar. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I uh, just always wanted to check it out because I'm curious. And I like uh, Eisner a lot. Like I oh, like, right. I like yeah. his art style. Not that that makes any difference in the movie, but I just, you know, I'm a big fan. So, uh, but I was going to say, Frank Miller would be a director who's only he's only made three films, right? And, uh, Sin City, The Spirit, and Sin City: A Dame to Kill For. Yeah, and, and I've, Sin City, those are like co-directing. Yeah, yeah, with credits. with Rodriguez. Yeah, but I and I didn't I didn't love Sin City last time I rewatched it, but it was pretty innovative as yeah. I recall when it came out. So I don't know. I'd like to see I like to see him get a shot to do more. Like I know he I remember when The Spirit came out and he was like. Frank Miller directing this by himself. Like he's come, you know, he's like, he's learned how to direct a movie. Now he's going to do something. And then everybody said it was so terrible. So I was like, yeah. And, bummer, and like, it looked exactly like since. Right. City, right. So, but anyway, um, yeah, well that's our show. So, yeah. uh, thanks for the email. You can email us at film at gmail.com. 
visit our website at filmyak.podient.co and we have a blog there and we have trailers there and I we me and Kevin put trailers up all the fucking time mm-hmm. and uh we never talked about the Oscars. You want to do that now? How do you feel about Green Book? Are you happy that it won? <laughs> <laughs> Not particularly. I mean, I've heard I've heard nothing but bad things about it. It looks like a it, huge piece of shit. Yeah, and like it it seems like so um like when when I I remember I posted the trailer for it on the blog, like um, you know when the trailer came out, and you know I made the joke that it was the feel good buddy comedy that the world needed right now. But apparently the Oscar committee thought that that you know thought the same thing, but they didn't realize that it was a joke. Right. So yeah, I was I was really surprised that it won. Um, I like Mahershala Ali. I really liked him in this last season of True Detective. I'm um, midway through True Detective, the new season. I'm interested to know what you think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the the rest of the the rest of the stuff, like um, I was glad Olivia Coleman won for the favorite. I thought she deserved it. Yeah, the most deserving award of the night for sure. Yeah, and um, like. You know, I know that I'm normally the one to come to s- sort of Spielberg's defense, but bruh, oh, fuck the, off the Netflix thing. Yeah, like, yeah. dude, like, what is his deal? I, <laughs> I don't like, know. Like, I, I know what his deal is because it's Spielberg is Hollywood now. He is they're one yeah. and the same, and he has to protect the interests of the theaters owners and the yeah, and, and the like, studios. And this is this is what he's doing. So he's like saying, "Fuck Netflix. Let's stop them from getting awards." Yeah, it's goofy. And, yeah, and like, and I like I, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't remember the last Spiel, the you know latest. Spielberg movie that I saw like I don't remember it was probably like it was probably Munich but I but that was like 2005 four that was his last good movie I've yeah, seen and I've like, seen everything they're yeah, terrible and, <laughs> yeah like this, uh, this guy is not making his best work anymore for sure he's he, over <laughs> yeah he's he's definitely he's definitely past his prime and like one one of the very best movies that was released last year was released on Netflix, and that's Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Absolutely. And, like, you know, it got, I, I think it got, like, no, I mean, it got nominations, but it didn't yeah, win anything. It got nominated for a song and uh, costume design. Yeah, which is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But Honestly, I would have given them both those Oscars. Yeah, for sure. I think like, it had the best. I, of I both really of thought Mary Queen of Scots was going to take it for costume. I th- yeah, I thought it's definitely. Good. I thought it was going to be a uh, one of what did, what did win Black Panther won. It was, I thought it was going to be one of the period dramas for sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, happy for Black Panther for getting what they did. Um, definitely a Mad Max situation with that. Like it won all the technical awards. It feels yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Not all um, of them, but all like a lot of the little or tiny awards. For sure, and and it won best original score too, yeah. which I was like. I don't remember the score. I, I haven't seen it. So I I, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I was, I was really pulling for Isle of Dogs to win best, best score. Yeah. Um, it's same for best animated feature. Like, I wasn't surprised that uh, the Spider-Man movie won because apparently, you know, a lot of people. It's huge. Yeah. Like, even uh, Jr. said that it was pretty good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, um, everybody I know who's seen it loves it. So. Yeah. Um. What do you think of? Uh, didn't you say that like Regina King was really kind of overrated in If Beale Street Could Talk? Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the term overrated. 
maybe JR said that. I don't uh, think she's bad in it. I don't think she's that great in it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I Beale, if Beale Street could talk such a weird movie because it's like it's good, but it's got these weird problems that run all the way through it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. The best acting in it is probably Dave Franco as the Jewish landlord. Love him. <laughs> right. And the uh, the other guy oh, is only Brian like Tyree once. Henry. My bad. He oh, yeah. This guy, give the Oscar to that guy. Like, the guy's <laughs> right. fucking amazing. <laughs> he's he's in that uh, that Taylor Schilling comedy I was talking about, the 84-minute oh, okay. movie. He's in that, too. So Right. I'm jazzed for anything that guy wants to do. He rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Star is Born won Best Song. Yeah, now everybody thinks uh, uh, Lady, Lady Gaga said she's pregnant. And everybody thinks it's Bradley Cooper's baby because <laughs> they were like about to make out during the song. Wow! But did you watch the Oscars? No, I didn't. Okay. I, I, I just, I just had, uh, I just kept refreshing Wikipedia yeah. to. <laughs> I watched mm, probably ninety percent of them, and, right? Because uh, I, I like watching the show. It was, it was, it was hard this year though because with the baby and everything. But yeah tried and uh yeah i don't know pretty pretty i mean you know pretty routinely disappointing as far as that show goes there's not there's never i like birdman a lot so i was really happy when birdman won best picture but like since then i can't think of anything that's was like wow that's great you know they yeah they got it right that year yeah i mean like yeah there was the whole debacle with moonlight and everything yeah but uh uh (laughs) i mean i liked moonlight yeah I wouldn't have given the best picture. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. Uh, certainly, certainly would not have given La La Land best picture. Right, right. But um, um, well, it's Jonathan's pick next time. Yes. So Jonathan texted me earlier in the show to tell me what his pick is, as he so often does, because he's never on the fucking show. <laughs> uh, but he'll be forced to be on the next episode because it's his pick, and mm-hmm. it's uh, and I forgive me if I butcher this. I don't think I've ever said this out loud. Oh, Hazard Balthazar. By Robert, Robert Brasson. <laughs> okay. The uh, the Brasson film from 1966. Uh, yeah, the classic Criterion Collection film. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've never seen this. I've seen every Brasson film I've seen. I have liked a lot. Right. But I have not seen this one. And uh, so we're really looking forward to it. So that's what we're going to be watching for next time. Kevin, Sounds have you good. seen this? No. Oh, good. Okay. And I know JR has. Right. Because he's seen every Criterion Collection film. This is point of pride with him. Yeah, even the Olympic ones. Yeah, even the Olympic ones. I don't think he's seen everything in that box set. Oh, he watched, right. He said he watched almost everything. But Yeah. Oh. I think even he was like, no, I can't do this. I take it back about Brisson. I did not care for A Man Escaped, oh. which I hear everybody is like, just jizzing their pants about it but I'm just it just did not yeah. do it for me loved pickpocket mm. loved l'argent right uh, so yeah, yeah I remember the Safties talking about a man escaped um, I think it was on their like their sure. closet yeah. visit I could see that yeah. you know and I've been wanting to watch. in fact for this next episode I might try to watch um, I've had Lancelot du Lac on my uh, computer hard drive for right must be six years now <laughs> have not watched it uh, yet but uh we'll probably try to watch that and right. i did watch the trial of joan of arc uh which is fantastic also mm. so yeah i, I really i like brisson for the most part uh looking forward to watching this i've never seen like never saw diary of a country priest mm. either uh, or mouchette and i hear that these are all the great the really good ones so sweet 
Really looking forward to that. Uh, Until next time, thanks for listening.